Hey, everybody, it's Jacob Newton here, professional hockey player and mental health coach, advocate, all of the above. My good buddies over at Sports Epreneur and I did a podcast together about a year ago. And ever since then, we've been keeping in touch, creating content podcasts now. So if anybody out there is interested in doing the same, having their own podcast or want some type of content creation, don't hesitate to reach out to those guys at Sports Epreneur. They are willing and able to help you out. And after listening, don't hesitate in leaving a review. And then you'll get much more access to all of my content across the Sports Epreneur platform. I'm going to pass it straight over to today's guest to let him introduce himself and and speak a little bit about his life and his journey. So go ahead. Hi, everybody. Uh, My name is Theo Fleury, and I'm a former NHL player. Uh, but more importantly, uh, I am now a activist, um, around the subject of trauma, mental health and addiction. Uh, I have my own trauma story. Um, you know, I grew up in a house where both my parents experienced uh, addiction issues. And then, uh, as a phenom hockey player, I ran into a coach who, Ended up raping me 150 times over a two and a half year period. And then wasn't too long after that, I got involved with uh, addictions. And uh, ultimately, uh, my career ended uh, because I could no longer manage uh, my mental health. Um, You know, I suffer from severe depression, severe panic, uh, anxiety. Um, you name it. So, um, and in 2009, I wrote autobiography about my life and it sort of, uh, projected me into this, uh, world of, uh, trauma, mental health and addiction. And, uh, I've spent the last, geez, well, it's 10 and a half years now since the book came out and I've spent that whole entire time, not only, um, talking about my own story, but also educating myself uh, around the subject. So I'm a better facilitator. I'm a better healer and motivator. And uh, yeah, it's been needless to say the wildest ride, Um, you know, and I, I I would have never thought that uh, this would be my post uh, hockey career, but uh, I can tell you it's been way more rewarding, you know, than the hockey stuff. So, Wow. That's, that's incredibly powerful, you know, coming from a man like yourself, you know, with the storied career that you had, you know, winning the Stanley Cup and everything like that. And, and again, you know, being who you were, that phenom, that hockey phenom, and especially being Canadian and what a sport it is up there in Canada. You know, I can imagine how Canadians are feeling throughout this whole, you know, COVID-19 thing. But, uh, you know, first and foremost, thank you so much for, for sharing that stuff. And, and I think, uh, you know, like we said before we hit the record button here, we both have that common friend and Eric Cousin and, you know, the, the mental health movement that he has started and what an incredible, you know, journey that he's on. And it's yeah. something I, that I've already believed. And then through the connection of speaking with him, just my belief is even stronger that it's not one in five people that are dealing with, you know, things. It's five and five. We're all, we're, we're all doing it. So how important do you think it is for yourself and for Eric to continue spreading that message? You know, the commonality of trauma is 
like I had, I had this lady in one of my conferences stand up and say, trauma is the string which binds us all together as human beings. And I was like, no truer statement has ever been said in the history of our planet. And, you know, those of us who have experienced trauma, well, guess what? We're the healers mm. on the planet. Okay. Mm. And so instead of taking this trauma experience and, you know, basically paralyzing us, you know, the positive side of it is that because I have the experience and because I'm on a path of healing and I'm on a path of, you know, whatever you want to call it, I'm going to run into all of these people who the one single common thing and common thread is trauma. Right. Right. And I think we've got the whole mental health thing down. We got the whole addiction thing going on, but what we don't acknowledge is that trauma is the thing that brings us into mental illness and brings us into addictions. And you know, because we live in a world where we're fearful of judgment and people looking at us differently, mm. we, uh, we tend to hold on to these secrets. Mm. And there's a great saying in 12-step, you're only as sick as your secrets. Mm. Wow. Okay? And uh, the first time I heard that phrase, I was in L.A., in treatment and I went to this very high profile meeting AA meeting mm. in Malibu and it was a birthday meeting okay and so this guy who had 16 years of sobriety got up to the podium to pick up his 16 year trip chip and he said those seven words mm. and it was like he threw a ball peen hammer and hit me right between the eyes because I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Maybe I need to start sharing my secret here, <laughs> you know? And in 2009, when I wrote the book, that was the first time that I actually told my secret. Wow. And what happened was I got completely run over by people mm. everywhere I went. Mm. Five, 10, 15, 20 people were coming up to every book signing saying, Hey man, I read your story. Uh, you told my story. Me too. Ah, right. Mm. And what I realized was by me finding the courage and the strength to find my own voice, I can help other people mm. find their own voice. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's just been an incredible experience. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's incredible. And, and I, and I can, and I can speak for myself as well in terms of, of that, so that the, the, the simple fact that I'm sitting here talking to you is a, is a sign, right? That, and for yourself as well, that we've gone down that path and we're on the path. And now we realize that this is the path and yeah. there is no stepping off of it. And it's going to be a path we'll be on for the rest of our lives. And, you know, one, one thing I know for myself, again, um, in terms of healing, is that it's like you think you get to the, the top of the mountain and then you realize, holy shit, holy hell, I've got a, a valley I'm looking out over and I've got so much deeper to go. And I've actually just found another layer of healing for myself that I'm about to start going down. And it's just like, 
wow, it's like in terms of our inner child, the things that we need to heal up from that we were traumatized from our childhood. And then, you know, I, for myself, I, I believe that in terms of relationships of our partner, we're going to take on the role of one of our parents. And I've found out what role that is for myself. And now I'm like, holy hell, I've got to heal this before crazy stuff, more crazy stuff happens in my life, you know? Um, so you said you were in treatment um, in Malibu there. What, what was that treatment like for you then? Um, you know, you don't have to go too deep into it, but you know, what kind of, was it, was it purely talk therapy? Was it medicine? Kind of what was that like for yourself? Well, I've done every type of therapy known to mankind. So, um, I, the first treatment center I went to, uh, which was, I think in 1999, mm. uh, I learned how to do every single drug on the planet, every which way it could be done. That's what I learned in the first treatment center. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and obviously I wasn't ready, you know? Um, it was kind of mandated that uh -huh. I needed to go, right? Forced almost. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, you know, I, I went to four treatment centers during my, you know, I always say it took me 10 years to get one day of sobriety. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, wow. You know, and, but what, you know, they were all great, you know, and but what happened was that I started to pick up tools mm. along the way that I use today, you know, to stay sober one day at a time. But uh, yeah. And, and, and that's the thing about, about, uh, why I loved being a part of we're all a little crazy Yeah, is that, you know, both Eric and our story has a lot of pharmaceutical mm. remedies mm. as a part of, you know, the healing process. Right. And what happened was, you know, uh, I had a gun in my mouth 16 years ago. Wow. Right. Wow. And it wasn't that I wanted to die. It was the fact that I was completely exhausted from living in emotional pain and suffering for the majority of my life, right? And I had tried everything on the planet to get rid of this feeling, including, you know, the old, uh, um, you know, antidepressant cocktail, right? which actually made me worse <laughs> as opposed yeah. to, to, to better. And, uh, and then, you know, I just, I just started researching and mm. trying everything, you know, yeah. so that I could come up with my own personal routine that helps me stay, you know, on the straight and narrow one day at a time. Right. Yeah. Right? Cause they say, if you think about, if you think about the past, that's depression. Mm. And if you think about the future, that's anxiety. Yes. So what it tells me is that I got to try and live in the present mm. as much as possible. Right. You know, not perfectly, not, you know, I just got to try and stay in the present as much as I can. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's incredible. And, and, and again, and how do we do that? Holistically. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know? yes. Self-healing, right? You got to breathe. Yeah. You got to breathe, you know? Yeah. You got to like, I'll, 
I find myself sometimes sitting on the couch and I'm like, holy shit, I'm holding my breath. Yeah. Like I'm not breathing. Yeah. Right. And, and so, you know, and that's what, that's what brought Eric out of his two and a half year, you know, whatever depression or whatever it was, was, yeah. you know, he went to a breathing class. Mm. Crazy. And what's interesting is, is that big pharma has such a hold on, you know, mental illness that, you know, as an activist, you know, I'm out there on social media telling people to breathe mm. and I get so much backlash yeah. from the fact that, you know, essentially if we stop breathing, like we're dead. Right. Right. So, you know, like you got to breathe. Yeah. And people are like, what the hell are you talking about? This is stupid. Da, 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 da. And I'm yeah. like, well, it, Try worked, it. it worked for me. You know? Yeah. That's, that's fascinating. You bring that up because that's actually something, cause I'm, I'm a father. I'm divorced as well. A uh, single father with two beautiful children, four years old. My son, his name's Nash. My daughter, six years old. Her name's Harper. And uh, one thing that I'm really, I'm working on them with their communication because in order for us to heal, we have to be able to communicate. Yeah. Be able to speak on our stuff, right? And I know you'll, you'll attest to that. Um, but breathing, I'm, I'm giving them tools now to overcome our anger, to overcome our sadness, to get us back to a state of calm before we can get to happy. And what yeah. am I doing? I'm just helping them to focus on their breathing. Because when yeah. you focus on your breathing, you're in the present moment. And when you're there, there are there is no past. There is no future. There are no problems. We're just here with our breath. Um, yeah. and, and so going back real quick to what you said in terms of the pharmaceutical companies, you know, they're just pumping out these, these, these pills like – like crazy. And I, for myself, I dealt with depression in my teenage years. I, I was fortunate, I guess you could say that I never got onto pills. It wasn't until I signed with Anaheim that I was, I guess, diagnosed with depression from Anaheim's teen doctor. Um, wow. you know, so, but I, you know, again, through the sexual abuse that I experienced, PTSD, depression, um, playing hockey with men, viewing them as the monster that was raping me, that was sexually mm -hmm. abusing me and, you know, the strain that that caused on my mental health and on my hockey career. But again, I want, I'm getting sidetracked. I wanted to stay with the pharmaceutical companies. And again, what your, what's your opinion? It's my opinion that these pills are a band-aid. They might help. Yeah. They might provide some short-term relief, but they aren't what caused my low mental health. So how are they going to fix it? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, you're getting the comment, you're getting the backlash um, when you ask or suggest that people to breathe. And I think a lot of that's coming because they think it's, there's no way that this can fix my chemical imbalance or there's no way that that can heal me yeah. when in reality it can, if you just gave it, gave it an honest effort, you know? Yeah. Like medical doctors, like your family doctor should nowhere near be prescribing any antidepressants to anybody. Mm. They, they don't take that in school. Yeah. That's why there's a field of psychiatry. Right. Right. Mm. And um, unless we're putting people in an MRI machine and actually taking a picture of their brain, we right. shouldn't be prescribing anything. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because they're only prescribing medication for the symptoms. Yes. Okay. And you know, my brain lacks dopamine and serotonin production. Mm. Okay. 
because my mom was severely depressed while I was in utero and she was taking Valium. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So I have fetal pharmaceutical spectrum disorder. Wow. Okay. Okay. And, you know, it wasn't until I ran into a neuroscientist who I wrote my second book with that we discovered that my brain lacks dopamine and serotonin production. Mm. Okay. So why did I gravitate towards a drug called cocaine? Right. It's pure serotonin. Yeah. It's pure dopamine. Mm. Right. Wow. And you know, what was interesting is when I used to do cocaine with all of my friends, like they'd be talking 300 miles an hour, they'd be chewing on their faces and, couldn't pay attention for more than a millisecond and I would do it and I would be perfectly calm. Hmm. And I'm like, this is weird. Yeah. You know, it's not what you hear about. Yeah. And so, you know, I always say that hockey was my happy place. The arena was my happy place. Well, it was pure dopamine and serotonin production when I was on the ice. Right. So the reason why I was such a great hockey player was my brain was actually functioning at a very high level, mm. you know, yeah. but when I left the rank, I can't produce dopamine. Yeah. So, you know, I always tell people, be your own advocate. So when you go to the doctor and you're feeling anxious or depressed and he writes out the script, like, it's very okay for you to ask him, why are you giving me this? Yeah. You know? Mm. And if he can't explain it to you, don't take the script. Yeah. You know? Right. It's, it's, it's just so fascinating because everybody I've spoken with, you know, in terms of taking pharmaceutical drugs, literally every single one has said it's actually made me worse. Um, yes. So, which, which to me, again, is not surprising, but I think the unfortunate part is that we've been programmed to think that that is the only avenue. That is it. If you yeah. can't get well by going to the doctor and him giving you a prescription, then that is you. You are depressed and you will be depressed for the rest of your life. You will be anxious for the rest of your life. And there's no truth in that. No. And that's what they need us to believe so that what? We continue going there. Yeah. Continue paying our money mm-hmm. to these companies that I don't believe yeah. In the end, have the our. What's even uh, more? What's even more hilarious is they'll put you on a, a an antidepressant, mm. and it works for like two months, and then you go back into them, and you say, you know what, this really isn't working. Oh, it isn't working. Well, we've got a booster. Yeah. Right. So now okay. you're on two. Now you're on two. So right. then the second one stops working. Well, there's a third booster. Mm. So now you're on this cocktail of you have no idea what the hell it's doing. Right. And what are all the side effects from taking synthetic brain chemistry? Mm. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, absolutely. And again, I, I think people are so caught up in the fact that I am depressed. I need this opposed to the limitless, almost it feels like uh, amount of side effects, like you, like you, like you mentioned. And again, you take one pill, you get one side effect. You got to go back to the hospital to treat that side effect. You take another pill and it's just, when does the cycle end? There's so many people that have cabinets full of all these drugs and they are forever sick. So, you know, and, and again, I think if people started bringing mental health 
to the forefront of our perspectives of our every decision, not every decision. Of course, we're human. We're going to make our mistakes, but I think that would go a long way. Yeah. When you, when you think about your microbiome, Mm -hmm. like your gut, like that's, this is the gut is your brain. Mm. This, this is, you know, this is way up here. Yeah. You know, the food that we eat, the chemicals that we put in our body get turned into chemistry and sent upward. Right. It's not the, the, the other, right. And, you know, since I've been doing more and more research about microbiomes and how, you know, if I put the right type of food in my body, you know, my mental health state of my mental health improves Mm -hmm. exponentially. Yeah. Right. And, you know, that's sort of new. That's, you know, uh, 23 and me and, you know, ancestry.com, you know, was originally, you know, to see who your family was, but then they took it to the next step and they started learning about microbiomes and, and how we can control our mood through, through diet. Right. Then that's such an important thing, you know, and I have Crohn's disease too at the same same time. Right. Which is an autoimmune disease, which was probably caused from my trauma. Right. As a kid, because it's got to go somewhere in my body. Right. And mine unfortunately settled in my intestine and in my gut. But, you know, there's, there's so much more that we're going to uncover here in the next little while that's yeah. going to, you know, push this mental health thing to, to another dimension, another level. Right. right. And uh, what's, what's interesting though, is that the, the stigma attached to holistic practices and holistic therapy is just incredible. Because yeah. I think I think slowly but surely that's the way we're headed. It's yeah. just, we can't it can't be so quick because all these companies that make so much money off of the way things are now, you know, they'd be you know out in the dumps if everybody strictly went to a holistic approach. And that's you know that's where I'm at in my life. And I'm interested to hear about where you're at in terms of your own self healing. Like, what is it that you do? So you say you have your routines. Mm-hmm. Is there some type of self healing in part of your daily life now? Yeah. Well. Everything I do pretty much on a daily basis is toward healing, right? Yeah. You know? And uh, like I hang around with one of the most powerful medicine men in the world. Mm. Eh? Yeah. And what he tells me is the, the universe or the world has every thing that we need to heal. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And, and so I have a theory that the pharmaceutical companies went, okay, well, if there's a natural healing process, we can produce a synthetic version of that thing. Mm. Right. And, you know, like I've seen this guy like cure cancer. Like he takes people from the Tom Baker cancer center in Calgary who've been given three or four months to live and cures them. Wow. Probably pretty quickly too. Just on plants. Yeah. Yeah. Like plant based stuff and stuff you would never think that it would have healing properties. Yeah. Like a tree bark. 
<laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. And all this stuff. But if you, you know, if you go out uh, publicly and talk about this shit, you're a conspiracy theorist. You're a fucking loony tune. You know what I mean? But I'm like, this guy saved the guy's life. Yeah. Yeah. But isn't it so like fucked up that that's the way the world is that the things that are naturally here on this planet are viewed as weird as out there when they should be the most normal common things that people go to first. And then if those things don't work, which in most cases they're going to work, then maybe we can try this synthetic crap because yeah. that's all it is. It's crap. It's not. Well, I, always, I always make the analogy. If you watch a half hour TV show there, it's actually 24 minutes of actual, you get to watch the program. Right. The other six minutes, which is, uh, 30 second commercials. Right. Right. Half of those commercials are what? Big pharma. Yep. Right. Wow. So they're programming us <laughs> to take a pill. Yeah. For right? everything. For, for everything. There's literally one for anything and everything out there today. What I find funny is that, you know, that 30 second commercial, the first 20 seconds is, you know, the cell. Yeah. And then the last 10 seconds are all the side effects. <laughs> yeah. And we still take them. We still oh. take them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, uh, it is crazy. Cause you know, I was, I don't know if you watch any shows or Netflix or anything like that, but there's a show on Netflix called Ozark. Um, there's been three seasons and in the final season, a new character comes in. It's a brother of one of the main characters and he suffers for, from severe bipolar disorder. And wow. my, my, path has kind of you know cultivated this better understanding in terms of depression and anxiety i've never yeah. really dip, dipped into bipolar but what i do believe after watching this character he did an incredible job it was mind-blowing performance and and again he went to these treatment centers and he got pumped with all of these pills and i think what this man just needed was to was to just be with himself be with his thoughts honor these things and cultivate a healthier relationship with his bipolar disorder so that he wouldn't go to the extremes on either side of the pendulum that he did. And he can find a life in the middle where he didn't need to be in danger and people didn't need to feel unsafe around him, but he was trying to heal in the same environment that he got sick. And I yeah. think that is something that is people don't think about either. Um, you can't be with the same people that you got sick around. You got to go to a new group of people or you got to go by oh. yourself. I, the only way you're going to heal your mental health disorder is through relationship. Mm. That's it. Yeah. That's all it is. Right. Because, you know, and I call myself a expert in the field of relational trauma because mm. mm. my trauma happened in relationship with my right. parents, with my abuser, with, you know, Long-term relationships, you know, it was all accumulated, right? Yeah. So how am I going to heal? Well, I'm going to heal in healthy relationships. Right. But the relationship that I've neglected the whole entire time was the one that I had with myself. Right. And how do I do that? Well, I got to heal emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Mm. That's it. Mm. Right. Right. 
And yeah, if I don't yeah. love myself, guess what? I can't be in any other relationship with anybody else and love them. Right. Well, you certainly, you, you can, and so many people are, and, and that's why so many people are in very toxic and unhealthy relationships, which also winds up just creating more layers around the root of the trauma, around the root of the issue. And now we're in a relationship with the person that triggers us. We blame them because they're the ones that triggered us. And what, all that does is it's just another layer farther yeah. and farther away from the truth, the truth that yeah. you need to be living in in order to actually heal, right? Exactly. That's, um, that's it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, just some fascinating things. And um, how, you know, it's, it's, again, another belief of mine that, you know, in dealing with mental health, being under that microscope, um, of playing at the major level. I've, I was fortunate to make it to that level, but not be able to, to, to sustain it and stay there. You know, but I would imagine that so many players, again, all over the world, but we're going to stick to the major sports, NHL, NFL, NBA, MLB. Um, th- again, all players are dealing with something, whether they're, it's known or not. And then to have the, the microscope and then to have criticism coming from articles and players maybe not having that wherewithal to not read these things. So yeah. my question to you is how was it, you know, playing in the NHL, having these mental health issues, having hockey be kind of your safe place, but then this experience happens, you're sexually abused, and maybe it's not so safe anymore. So yeah. what was that kind of battle like? Um, or maybe it wasn't a battle. How was life in the NHL for yourself living with such low mental health? Well, my mental health never became a, you know, a big problem till the end of my career. Mm. Right. And, uh, you know, I was ultra, ultra, super talented. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I could get away with being exposed because I was ultra talented. Mm. Right. You know, and when I stepped on the ice, you know, that was my happy place. Right. Right. And, uh, I was probably nine or 10 years into my career when something happened, something switched. And, you know, I started having panic attacks more frequently, Mm -hmm. uh, depression i think probably had some concussion stuff happen okay so then there's another layer right you know and uh yeah it just it just became unmanageable the whole thing you know i could manage it at the beginning but as i got older and you know had kids and you know all this stuff like it, it was just and i was making millions of dollars you know and so there was all you know, there's a whole bunch of different factors that came in, which added more stress, added more pressure. And I think my body, my brain just went, this is enough. Mm, like, yeah. I can't, can't deal with this anymore. Right. And, uh, and yeah. And like I said, towards the end of my career, I did not want to be at the rink anymore. You know, like I wasn't a guy that like, I hated working out. Yeah. I hated practice because it was like, why am I here? Yeah. Like, why am I doing a battle drill down in the corner for 30 seconds? Like, I don't need this shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know? Got other stuff to deal with. But if you throw a puck on the ice, 
I'll give you everything I got. Yeah. Wow. You know? So would you say then more towards the end of your career, it turned more into like a chore, a job yeah. where yeah. it was, again, it was it no longer fun. Safe. It wasn't fun anymore. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, I played on teams where like we were young and I understood that the coach had to teach these kids, you know, mm. well, for yeah. me, it was like an hour and a half on the ice. Like, no, thanks, man. I'm like 35 minutes. That's all I need. Right. Yeah. But Intense, 35, and let's you're get out a of part of a team, right? You're yeah. one of the leaders. So you sort of have to buy into what the coach is, you know, doing. And yeah. I, you know, intellectually, I knew what it was all about. But for me, it was like, this fucking sucks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just sure. want to play. Like, I just want to, I want to play and I want to compete. Yeah. You know, and I can't get this in practice, mm. right? You know. So, so you going back really quick? You talked about the serotonin and those levels being at a, a a lot less level for you than your average person out there. So you could say in games you were you were you were coherence. Yeah. Everything in your brain was coherence. Would you yeah. say that in practice and every other day outside of a game you were out of you were in out of out balance? Of then? Out of sync. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. So the so the place and I, that, think, and I think as my cocaine usage increased, hmm. the days that I wasn't on it was fucking crash like hard hard crashes. You yeah, know? yeah. And so it was like, yeah, it was and, hard and to. How to were your relationships back then? Obviously, you know, I, the relationship with yourself clearly wasn't a good one, right? How was it in terms of, you know, spouse, kids, teammates, uh, reporters, you know, coming to ask questions? Like, yeah. did there ever, was there ever a scenario where maybe you fucking didn't want to be here and you, these people asked the wrong question and you snapped or anything <laughs> like that, you know? Like, yeah, you know, I, I watch, I watch uh, clips of when I was in New York and I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. I was so out of control. Mm. Mm. Out of control. Yeah. Pissed off at the world, pissed off at people, you know, and just the unmanageability of my life was like, you know, right here. Yeah. You know, and, you know, obviously I didn't have any tools mm. at all, you know, and my first reaction to everything was anger. Right. Because it's my protection. It's like leave me the fuck alone, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, yeah. And uh, but what I needed most was relationship, and I couldn't couldn't find it anymore, mm. right? Couldn't wow. find that safe place to land. I couldn't find that safe person to talk to, and you know, talk about what was going on. You know, how how important would you say that is to have that one person for anybody out there that's listening, like? we need that one person, whether it's, you know, a relative or a close. That's, that's part of my daily routine is I have my five. I always say to people, find your list of five people mm -hmm. who you trust, who don't judge you, who are unconditional love. And I say, you know, you have to speak to the, at least one of those people every single day, no matter what mood you're in. Yeah. And wow. just say, hey, you know what? I made a promise to myself that I'm going to check in with, with you guys. Yeah. And I think that's really important, especially now that we're, 
you know, quarantined, locked up and, yeah. you know. So yeah. That, and how has that gone for you um, over the course of the last six, seven, eight weeks? Well, the first six weeks were ugly. Yeah. Ugly. Yeah. I couldn't get out of bed. Wow. Couldn't get out of bed. Couldn't move. I was paralyzed. Yeah. Deep, deep, deep dark depression. Wow. Were, were you staying true to the, your, your daily routines, the things that got oh, you to this? No, that all went out the window. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like you, you built like over years of cultivating this incredible, you know, relationship with yourself and then this stupid situation happens. And I'm, and again, I'm speaking on myself too. It's yeah. like to get away from the things that like were so true to yourself that got you to such a beautiful state. And now they're just poof. Yeah. Well, but because that old thinking comes back. Yeah. Right. Comes back. Right. Yeah. And I used to say, pour me, pour me, pour me another drink. Yeah. Right. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, it's and, fascinating. Uh, but I wasn't suicidal. I, and I think, you know, I actually gave myself a break and I said, you know what, this is what depression is. Mm. It ebbs and flows. Right. And it's not the end of the world that I'm in this state, mm. Mm. right? Impermanence, right? Like it's going to change. Yeah, it's going to change, yeah. right? And it was funny because I'd be sitting there. I know intellectually what I need to do to get out of this depression, but it wasn't happening. Yeah. Like wasn't bathing, fucking my, wow. it was just like disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was a disgusting human being, but at the same time, like I wasn't being hard on myself. I was just letting it happen. Mm. Well, in such a perfect time to allow yeah. this to happen, right? As you got all yeah. the time in the world. So fuck for, for so many people out there, they're probably still trying to go to their vices. They're try, probably still trying to d distract themselves from these things yeah. that for everybody are inevitably coming up. And again, uh, speaking for myself, speaking for you, shit this whole experience has brought up i would say like the global subconscious <laughs> you could almost say like every the whole globe's population our subconscious mind is coming to the forefront right now and people are healing from it and some people are continuing to stay away from it and i think it's important that we continue to going towards it because that's where the healing that's where the, the fear is there that's where you go because there's that the growth what you know, we, we wrote a chapter in our book, second book, Conversations with a Rattlesnake is the name of the book. Wow. And we wrote a chapter called Sitting in Your Shit. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Because it's part of the process. Mm. You have to sit in your shit. Right. You have to sit in the feelings of uncomfortability. Mm. So that when that happens again, it's not full panic mode. It's not you know, I'm fucking going to kill myself and all this shit like that, yeah. that we think about, you know, and, and during this last episode, you know, the, these were the things that I was thinking about. Mm. It wasn't like doom and gloom and, you know, everything yeah. shit and fucking, no, it was just like, okay, I get it. Here's the universe putting another situation in front of me that I need to work on my shit. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, it's essentially like life is always going to recycle our experiences for us, right? Until we learn or until we are open, our hearts are open up to the lesson. And, and again, I think this situation is presenting so many people with more opportunities to learn more about ourselves, 
so that we don't need to go to pharmaceutical companies and take those. Yeah. We got our own medicine within us. I think it, it was the universe saying, slow the fuck down. Yeah. Right. right. You know, and what's really important, what's, what really matters. Mm. Mm. Right. You For know, sure. and, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was an interesting, uh, it was an interesting time. And then one day I got up and it was absolutely beautiful outside. Mm. So I jumped on my pedal bike and I went for a ride. Mm. And when I finished the ride, I was like, wow, do I ever feel good? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then, you know, I just been doing it every day, you know, and I'm up to an hour a day on my bike where I just get on it, put my headphones on and I just, I go for yourself. Right. And what I've deprived because I'm an athlete. Right. Mm. So to punish myself, I'm not going to work out. <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as crazy as it sounds, right. And I'm not thinking about this consciously. Yeah. Okay. This is my unconscious, you know, tapping into all these old triggers and how I used to feel about myself and saying, no, man, you don't get to, you don't get to feel good. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, working out and then my body going, Oh, thanks man. Mm. You know, cause this is what I needed. And so I needed to get my, my mind out of the picture. Right. Right. And tap into the spiritual part of it. Right. Yeah. What does that look like for you? So are you exper- uh, experimenting with any type of meditation? Oh, um, yeah. I, I do. I do everything. Yeah, everything. Um, gotcha. But I, the, the best, the greatest thing that I do is I participate in these sweat lodges. Okay. And so I go see the medicine man, mm-hmm. and he puts on these incredible spiritual ceremonies. And I sit wow. in the sweat lodge, and I just sweat. Oh, and there's chanting and there's prayer and meditation and like, it's, it's all encompassing. Wow. Okay. Where do you do that at, at home there in Calgary or? Yeah. So the, there's a community, Aboriginal community two hours South of Calgary where this Arnold guy. Yeah. Lives. Okay. And I go to his place and he has a sweat lodge and my wife loves it too. Wow. So we go together and we sit in the sweat lodge and cleanse ourselves. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. So, so you're doing the meditations daily. How often are you doing these sweat lodges? I mean, now it's probably different, but yeah. Usually, this usually like to go once a month. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds a lot like it was like a sweat lodge. So like you played in Finland, so you know, right. All yeah. about the sauna and that's essentially what it is. You go, you know, whether it be with a couple of friends or you go to a public one and you just yeah. sweat it out. And uh, it was interesting. The first year that I really started, you know, becoming addicted almost to the sauna culture in Finland was uh, the best season I had in my career. And it was every Sunday, me and the same two other guys, we'd all meet at the public sauna and we'd be there for two and a half, three hours, five sessions of, you know, sauna and then jumping in the cold freezing lake and just for two and a half hours. And man, you just feel incredible. You feel alive, you know? Um, So I can imagine waking your body up. Right. Is what you're doing. Like you're mm-hmm. waking all that chemistry and, you know, our trauma gets stored in our body. Yeah. Right. And if it doesn't move, 
then it becomes chronic. Ah. Right? Mm. You know, and so, you know, there's lots of different techniques out there that you can use to move this trauma out of your body and release it out of your body. And so whether that's doing sweat lodges or saunas or steamers or, you know, uh, deep pressure, you know, like these weighted blankets now are becoming like the greatest thing since sliced bread. I have one right beside my bed at night. Wow. Can you, can you elaborate on that? What, what, what exactly is that? So that deep pressure helps you, you, uh, feel less anxious. Hmm. So when I have bouts of anxiety, I grab the blanket and I put it on me right away and it just calms me down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I sleep on a bed where I have four, four quilts because I like that heavy heaviness. Okay. Cause it calms me hmm. and gets me ready to sleep at night. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Um, well, to, to kind of wrap this up, um, again, thank you so much, Theo, for, for being on here. Incredible insights into obviously your journey and to, you know, the way you view life now, obviously with the pharmaceutical stuff coming up. But uh, if there's anything that you could say uh, for anybody listening, what would, what would be any type of advice or suggestion that you would have for, for anybody out there? Well, what I tell people is I'm still fucking crazy. <laughs> it's yeah. just more manageable. <laughs> incredible incredible it's so it's so real quick you know it's just so incredible that you say that because you know i post a lot of content on linkedin and on instagram and you know i i i dealt a lot with uh, extreme uses of alcohol of marijuana of chewing tobacco of sex you know things throughout my years of playing in the ushl and in college and everything and i still enjoy those things from time to time I yeah. still enjoy a drink every now and then. I yeah. still enjoy marijuana every now and then. Chewing tobacco, I've kind of, you know, for the most part, stayed away from. I enjoy it every now and then, but I'm no longer in a, in a place of abusing those, of suppressing right. these other emotions that are coming in. Now it's just from pure enjoyment, you know? So I'm still fucking crazy too. Like, yeah. ask my kids. They'll tell you yeah. first and foremost that daddy is crazy, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's that craziness which, which makes us unique. Right. Right. And, you know, when you embrace it, that's half the battle. Mm. Right. Because, you know, in the, like what I say all the time, I'm in therapy for the rest of my life. Right. And when I say that people, like when I stand on stage and I say that people are like looking at me, like this guy's crazy. Yeah. No, no, no. I just, you know, you owned it. Yeah. Owned your shit. Spoke your truth. And here you are. It's just, but because we're so programmed, you know, take a pill, you're healed. Mm. Well, guess what? I've tried them all. Yeah. Now what? (laughs) I haven't discovered it yet. It hasn't been invented yet, you know? And, uh, but I, I, it all boils down to, you need to have a relationship with yourself. Mm. Right. Because, you know, after, after having the experience with my parents, after having the experience with my abuser, guess what happened? Well, I took over the abuse of myself, mm. right? Huh. That's what happened. Huh. And, you know, what trauma teaches us is it teaches us four things. 
They become the core of who we are. First one is abandonment and neglect. Mm. Second one, I'm not good enough. Uh. Third one, I'm not lovable. Mm. And then the fourth one, which is our opioid and heroin users, is do I even exist in the world? Right. You know? And when I discovered that this is what needed to be rewired in my brain, Mm. fuck, the world just opened up. Right. And it's the same world you're living in today that you're living in during your career when you hated everything, when you hated hockey, when you hated probably all the relationships you're in. Again, it's the same world, but what is different? Theo on the inside is different. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because I had to take a look inside of myself and go, you know, and, and because um, very, from a very primitive level, you know, it's like I went into every relationship like this, yeah. right? Fight. Yeah. Fight, flight, or freeze. Right. But that is actually hardwired into us as survival. Mm, mm. Okay. And because I don't trust anything or anybody, of course, all my relationships are going to be volatile. Right. Right. Mm. And when I look inside of myself and figure out why I don't feel good enough, why I don't feel lovable. Well, those are all learned behaviors from my childhood. Mm. So anything that can be learned can be unlearned. Yes. Right. Mm. For sure. And so, and I always tell people, give yourself a break. Mm. Give yourself a break. Right. You know, like, and when you're feeling shitty about yourself, go help somebody else. Wow. Because at the end of that exercise, guess what? You're not thinking about anything other than them. Mm. Wow. It gets you the fuck out of your head. Mm. And right? in, in the art of giving, you will also be receiving. Because I know for myself. Yeah, you're going to get way more out of the exercise than oh. you could. Yeah. Well, uh, there's so much energy and I've done a little bit in the past um, in terms of like mental health coaching, working with some former players. And I always just felt so like empowered and inspired and full of energy after a session, whether it be 30 minutes or an hour. Um, And not that I wasn't feeling good going into the session, but just that art again of of being of service to others, of helping others. You're also getting back because these people are going to be truly grateful for you. They're going to thank you. They're going to be appreciative of you and they're going to let you know. And that is going to fill you up. That's going to create some energy movement within us. Right. Um, And it's such a beautiful thing. You know, my new addiction and I'm, I'm addicted to intensity. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The bigger the problem, the better. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's quite interesting. We always say helping is healing, mm. right? For sure. And, you know, the more people I've helped, the more I've healed myself. Right. Because, you know, we have these wonderful things in our brain called mirror neurons, right? Mm. So in your eyes, I see myself as. Mm. So, you know, when I'm working with a newcomer, somebody's new to sobriety, I'm like, wow, I remember that. Yeah. Right. And I remember how far I've come Mm. and how much work that I've put in, you know what I mean? And I I just have a 
you know, a lot more of appreciation for the process mm. of, of healing, you know, and, and it's, and it's like winning, you know, why, why, why do people get addicted to winning? Cause they get addicted to the process, mm. you know, everywhere I go, people are like, how come you don't wear your Stanley cup ring? And how come you don't have your gold medal with you? And I'm like, well, that's the last thing in the process. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I get addicted to the process. Right. So healing's no like different. You know, healing's no different, mm. right? Mm. And, you know, another thing that I've learned is that when I'm the person who is the helper, I don't have to say anything. Mm. Okay? It's about listening. It's about being present. And it's about being attuned. And if you do those three or four things while you're helping somebody, guess what? You're rewiring that person's brain wow. just by listening, be attuned, be present. Yeah. You're actually rewiring their brain and you don't have to say anything. Right. You know, I think like, I it's like when these people come up and try, try to tell me their me too story. Yeah. I never have to say a word. Mm. Right. I just have to be present, attuned and listening. Yeah, for sure. And you watch shame leave their bodies. It is incredible. Right. I think, unfortunately, in uh, in terms of communication and people and how they interact in terms of that communication, all too often, I think people are listening with the intent to respond. Yes. Listening to understand. And yeah. so while they're listening, they're also thinking about how they need to respond. So they're no longer listening. They're no longer hearing. They're no longer present. Right. Yeah. And again, if you can give the, uh, a, a person the gift of your presence, who in the hell knows where that relationship will go? Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. And, and I think uh, when you're in that position of healer, that you have to do that. That's the only thing you need to do. Right. right? Because, you know, I always tell this story. So one of the most incredible me too moments that I had was uh, I was on my book tour and I did a small speaking engagement here in Calgary to a safe safety group. Mm. And I told my story. And then as soon as I was done, there was a big lineup of people that wanted to come up and thank me or say hi or whatever. And as I was, you know, doing the lineup, I saw this guy off to the left and I was like, hmm, wonder what's going on with this guy, right? Mm. So what happened was he ended up being the last guy in line, okay? Mm -hmm. And he stands in front of me. He looks exactly like Santa Claus. He's got the big white beard, white hair, big belly. And he stands in front of me. He says, my name is so-and-so, and I'm 72 years old, and I was molested for 700 and five consecutive days, and you're the first person I've ever told in my life. Oh, my. Huh. And I was like, wow. And what I, what I was thinking was, man, what if he could have done this 50 years sooner? Mm. And I was thinking about all of the wreckage that that caused in his life relationships and you know all of that stuff and 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 so you know that 
vulnerability piece is the most important piece. Yeah. Because what vulnerability does, it creates safety. Ah. And then when you have safety, that's when the magic of healing happens. Mm. And so the more vulnerable we are in telling our own story, the more it creates safety. Right. Right. And here's, I got, I'll tell one more story because it's like, (laughs) so we did a conference in Calgary and we had about a hundred people in the room and it was a trauma healing full day. Yeah. And this guy stands up and he says, uh, I just want everybody to know that I've never felt more safe in my whole entire life. Mm. And he said, I've been carrying this around for many, many years. And I want everybody to know in the audience that I molested my sister for five years. Mm. You know what happened? Women who were in the room who were molested by their brothers got up and went over and embraced this guy. Wow. Tell me that's not healing. (laughs) That's like the ultimate healer almost. Healing. And, you know, me and Kim, who I wrote the book with, were co-facilitating this thing. We looked at each other and we were just like, oh, my God. That could have been the only moment. It didn't need, need to be a whole day thing anymore. It could have been a 10-minute segment. Yeah. And that would have been enough. It was unbelievable. Wow. Well, so when you create that safe space, like, shit happens that you just can't explain. Mm. Mm. You know, yeah, and and you know that's why that's why I love Eric because you know he he gets that piece right right yeah and most of the people that are in the alliance you know we we get that piece is that you know we've all spent the majority of our lives living with these secrets mm. and have never been able to fully come out and talk about them yeah. And when we do, the impact is like insane. Right. Wow. Yeah, that. It, yeah, it's it's incredible because I, you know, speaking on my sexual abuse, it happened from my cousin, my adopted cousin. Uh, his father, my mom's brother, had passed away, and his mother was no longer fit to be a single mom. Right. So my parents adopted my three cousins, um, not knowing that all three of them. Uh, had been sexually abused as well. Right. Uh, and it was the eldest of the three that did it to myself. And it lasted for two, two and a half years. How many times throughout that? I don't know exactly. I just have clear images, yeah. um, uh, sights, sounds, uh, sense, uh, my senses remember and yeah. can go there yeah. in a flash of a moment, right? Um, to be honest with you, I kind of lost where I was going here with this. I hate when this happens. Um, have you? But, oh, yeah. I, I, I got it real quick. What I, what I would want for myself, because this is going to lead into a question I have for you real quick, is I would love to see my cousin today. I would love yeah. to take his hand. I'd love to give him a hug and have a conversation with him and see how he's doing. Have uh, you had that moment with your abuser? Have you? Yes, you have. How, and can you just well, talk? On, in a, in a very indirect way. Okay. okay. So five years ago, I set an intention that I wanted to start working in the prison system. Mm. Okay not really knowing why I wanted to do it other than I was curious. Right. So that has come to fruition and I've been to 
25 prisons now. Wow. And I work with inmates. Mm. And uh, so one day I, I showed up at this prison uh, outside of Winnipeg called Stony Mountain Penitentiary. It's a very famous place. And it's a maximum, medium, and minimum security prison. And while I was writing the, the second book, we talked about forgiveness. Mm. Right? And of course, I was like, no fucking way, that ain't going to happen. And <laughs> yeah. he's like, no, I just want you to think about it. Okay? And I was like, okay, I can do that. So anyways, I got 400 of the baddest dudes on the planet in my audience, right? Murderers, rapists, child molesters, bank robbers, you name it. Yeah. And we're having this incredible conversation about trauma, mental health, and addiction, right? Because the guys in prison, you know, I have 15 layers in my story. These guys got 40, 50, 60, 70 layers of trauma from their childhood. Yeah. So I'm like, I get it why you guys are here, how you end up here. Yeah. Right. So anyways, we're having this incredible conversation and I see this kid in the very back row and he can't even sit in his chair. Like he's fired up mm. and he wants to talk about something. Yeah. So I call on him. Kid stands up, looks exactly like Eminem, the rapper. Okay. He got the flat beat cap tattoos from his neck all the way down to his feet, you know, and he's, you know, he's yeah. cool. Right. Yeah. So the first thing out of his mouth, he says, steel flurry says, you're my hero. I was like, Whoa. Okay. Where's this going? Yeah. And he said, as you can see, he said, I'm not the biggest guy in the world. And you know, I wasn't the biggest hockey player. Right. I always battled size and all that. And he said, I used to be a really great hockey player. And he said, when I was 14 years old, he said, I got involved in the wrong crowd. Mm. And he said, I started selling drugs. And he said, I've been in and out of jail ever since. Then he says, you'll never guess who I was with three weeks ago in Grand Cache, Alberta. I said, I don't know. Who were you with? He said, I was with Graham James, mm. the guy that abused me. He was in jail with my abuser. And he said, Theo Fleury says, because you're my hero. He said, my sole intent while I was in that prison with this guy, my abuser, I was going to beat the shit out of him for you. Wow. But he said, Graham is very heavily guarded because everybody wants to beat the shit out of this guy. Wow. Okay. So he said, I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited. And he said, I finally got my chance. He said, the guards left him. And I went into his room and he wasn't there. So I started searching around. I went to the left side of the bed. He wasn't there. Walked around to the right side of the bed and there he was. Curled up in a ball in the fetal position in the corner of his room. And then the kid said to me, he said, uh, I didn't do anything. Mm. You know what I said to the kid? I said, you're my hero for not uh -huh. doing anything. Yeah. And that was the moment when I realized that I actually started to forgive myself. 
Wow. Not him. Yeah. Because somebody who's curled up in a ball in the fetal position, they're in pain. Of course. And they're suffering. Mm. And guess what? I'm not. I'm in a prison sharing my experience, strength, and hope. Mm. Right? And it was just like, wow. Yeah. The universe is working in my life. Incredible. God is working in my life. Mm. It's right? It's it's crazy because I, I uh, you know again speaking on the sexual abuse that I experienced from my cousin I was I was in Norway playing uh, I don't know three four months ago and I was talking about forgiveness exactly what we're talking about here and I have forgiven him because I needed to forgive him to move on for myself he right. needs to forgive himself for himself so right. I, I had a message somebody reached out to me after and said Jake is this how you know you view all sexual abuse predators or you know, because he's like, because I view him as a fucking monster and I would want to rip his head off. Right. And I understand that side as well, because I would imagine at one point in my life, I was probably there too. But Oof. for me, I don't need to forgive him or anybody. I need to forgive him for myself, for my own journey, for my own healing. It has nothing to do with him. He's yeah. where he's at in his own life. And I, that's not my problem. That's not my issue. My issue is me. And yeah. I need to forgive for me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, yeah, just a powerful example and story you had to share there um i mean heck i feel like we could probably go on talking forever um i typically don't like my podcast to go too much longer than we're currently at um so again one um if there is anything whether it be a book or a podcast or anything what is one thing that you believe all people um at some point in their life should should listen to watch or or do i think when you Surrender. You know, I did that September 18th, 2005. I hit my knees and, you know, and I always say the day I asked for help was the day that I saved my own life. Mm, mm. I knew I couldn't do this on my own. Yeah. And that I did need help and I did need other perspectives. I needed other opinions. I needed, you know, I needed a relationship. Yeah. Right. And like we talked about earlier, you know, the one relationship that I neglected was the one with myself. Yeah. And when I repaired that relationship, everything else seemed trivial, mm. you know? Mm. And, uh, but you know, what's funny is I, I do often take, take it back. Right. And so yeah. I have to go through the process of re-surrendering yeah. all the time because, you know, uh, and I always say I'm not that evolved yet. Right. Right. I'm a work in progress, mm. you know, yeah. uh, on, on the outside, it might look like I have everything together and life is great. And, you know, it's all unicorns and rainbows and, you know, but it's not. And, yeah. uh, and I think that, um, because once you start peeling the layers of the onion off, you know, there's there's even a, a smaller layer under the top layer, you know? Mm, yeah. And, right? Yeah. And you never know when that's going to present itself. Sometimes it will and you, you'll let it go by, but eventually, it'll, it'll, you know, those lessons always come back. And, and, you know, if you can take that negative experience that happened to you and turn it into a positive, then... That's what it's all about. Yeah. 
for sure. And, and, and you know, ultimately helping other people is how you're going to heal. Mm, love that. Um, you know? I would say one big takeaway too, for anybody listening is that once you go down this path, um, to not focus so much on the things that you're losing, let's focus on what we're gaining. And, and through the work of the self-love and self-healing, you're gaining yourself and there's nothing more valuable in your own life than you. Yeah. Um, and every relationship you get into at, at any point in your life is always going to just be a reflection of the inner relationship we have with ourselves. Oh, we're, we're spiritual beings living human, human experiences. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, Theo, uh, again, thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your day. I know you're a busy man. Um, even through the craziness that we're living through right now, I know you're busy, but, uh, truly grateful for you to have met you to share our experiences with one another. Um, and I look forward to who knows one day, maybe me, you and Eric will all be up on a stage, uh, talking together. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah. so for anybody listening, don't hesitate, you know, and leaving a review. Some, uh, or subscribing. And once you do that, it's going to give you much more access to all of my content across the sports epreneur platform. On today's episode, we had Theo Fleury. Um, and the most important thing, you've got all these other things that you've done in your life, but most importantly, and the label that I like for you is that you're just a beautiful human with some incredible experiences. And thank you so much for sharing those today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Boom, there we go.